I'm Carrie Benedett, and this is my podcast, Thriving Matters, where you will find tools to revitalise you and your relationships, whether at work or in your personal life. Well, a little bit about me. I'm an education consultant specialising in emotional intelligence, and I use creative approaches that empower people with proven processes. I'm known for my high energy, passion and compassion for those in need of help. And I like to shine a spotlight on what we can do. I'm here to bring positivity, confidence and strength every day, everywhere. My mantra in life has been, let's give it a red hot shot. Hello, listeners. Thrive Studio, and we're live with a very special guest today, Kingsley Aitkins from Ireland. So that's, we're just having a bit of a chat. And I had just said to him, What have you got lined up for this evening? So it's a very good morning to any of our listeners in Ireland um, and uh, elsewhere around the globe, all different time zones. But I'm coming to you from the beautiful South Coast. And as you always do with your guests, you have a previous chat, a prior chat to the session. And would you believe I said to Kingsley, hey, hang on, I'll just show you what the view is here. And uh, would you believe he's picked where we are? He said, that's Mollingbrook, isn't it? I said, that's right. (laughs) And you uh, just told me that you'd been married in Kangaroo Valley. So that is just amazing um, coincidence. So every time we meet globally or we get more connections around the world, there seems to be less and less um, pieces that, that bring us together less and less connections. It's it's amazing. So, Kingsley, you are very welcome. You are very well known in uh, Ireland, in Europe um, and around the world because you have actually worked here in Australia as well. So our thriving conversations are all around how we thrive in life and work and what are some of the things that have impacted you in the way that you now lead so we're going to have quite a robust conversation and listeners be prepared we have an Irishman in in the studio so you could you know there'll be some tall tales and some laughing it should be a great thriving conversation how are you Kingsley? Good morning well as they say in Ireland after an introduction like that I can't wait to hear what I'm going to say uh, that was pretty uh I was pretty over the top, but a bit uh, over embellished. But I have to admit, it was exactly the same as the one I emailed you last week. So thank you for that. It was good to start. Like that. <laughs> See, we've we've already started. If anyone would like to count how many how many ticks we're going to tick each other off with, that would be fantastic. <laughs> I think you've got a good appreciation of of Aussie sense of humour, and and we probably have a very good um, understanding of the Irish sense of humour as well, which is I think their blessings, their cultural blessings. And um, listeners, when we talk to anybody on the show, we're really um, looking at ordinary guys and gals who are doing extraordinary things in their work and in their life. And it doesn't mean we all have to be presidents or heads of of large organisations or someone who's, you know, always on our TV screens. It means that we do the best we can in the work that we love to do. And hopefully we find that work and we become very good at it. So Kingsley, I think it's over to you to give us a bit of a snapshot of what is it, what is the work that you do that you really love to do? Well, you know, I, I want to give a shout out to Australia because I, I was posted out to work in Australia uh, many, many years ago. And I literally arrived at the, the airport, Kingsford Smith, and I, I didn't know a sinner in Australia. 
Now, I met a lot of sinners since, but <laughs> but uh, it, was a, it was a wonderful experience for a, a young fella to be sent out there, really kind of nearly like the 10 pound Tommy. I was out there to do a job and I started from zero um, and I began to build a network and began to, to get engaged and involved. And I just love the place. I mean, terribly fond of it. Now, many, many years later, I still have really great buddies and friends in Australia. I think there is a certain affinity between the Australian and the Irish. I mean, I'd like to think that perhaps the, the kind of the larrikin instinct in Australian uh, kind of come uh, from here, the slightly anti-authoritarian uh, or anti-establishment uh, mm -hmm. kind of life. I think a little bit of that comes from here and comes from the fact that about a fifth of Australians have some sort of um, uh, Irish kind of dimension to their history and background. I used to I used to love reading Thomas Keneally. Uh, I used to love reading those those stories and those books about the uh, you know the the the, the great uh, the great families who went out the Juraks up in Queensland, you know, there were great farmers. Um, and then just throughout your whole political history. I was there when Paul Keating was prime minister. Uh, I thought yeah. he was an extraordinary individual, a very talented man, and um, also got involved with setting up the Australian Ireland uh, Association. So that was a that was a terrific kind of network thing, and 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 made these friends and made these friendships that have lasted throughout my life. So so it's a special place for me. I try to get back every year and do a bit of work back there. Um, and I do think that there's some really distinctive characteristics that we share in common, um, and has has been important for me. So that's my connect. Well, listeners, one of our other connects is that Kingsley is going to be on our Global Leaders Thrive program that starts here in Australia on the 16th of February. But you, Kingsley, will be with two other Irishmen, uh, Irish women and an Irishman. Um, and what we're doing is really special. You'll be talking about culture. John Murray's going to be going to, uh, be talking about his business and Caroline Caroline O'Connor will be talking about education. We're bringing the three aspects together because, you know, you talked about one of our prime ministers um, just a little moment ago um, and leadership around the world now has been in the spotlight ever since the pandemic um, commenced and it will continue to be in the spotlight as we are moving towards a future that was, is still very, very uncertain. So I think this is a, a wonderful way of um, being able to connect with you. Maybe this is your trip to Australia this year. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be a virtual live trip. It's going to be quite unique. Yeah. And, um, yeah. you know, I think that's uh, one of the pluses. Now, I'm going to declare I have a little bit of Irish in me. I have a little bit of English. And I married into uh, a northern Italian family, so cool. Um, yeah, so we've 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 got uh, kids. Our family is very proud of their heritage, um, and so you know it's it's an interesting concept. This notion of culture and how it affects your view on the world, um, how it affects the way you actually network, how you interact with others, your relationships, because you have to take into account. Um, some particular values and beliefs from different cultures. And I know, Kingsley, that what I'd like to ask you today is has there been someone or someone or a significant event in your life that ha has really shaped the way you see the world and the way that you, you know, get out of bed every day and show up? Has there been something that's been pretty instrumental in who you are today? <laughs> Well, you know, I suppose when I look back um, in my lifetime and my history, um, 
you know, the person who I suppose made the greatest impact to me was, was Nelson Mandela because, you know, he was a man who spent 27 years in Robben Island and he, when he came out, he was full of forgiveness and he forgave his captors and he was just the most remarkable man. I had a great opportunity of meeting him and, uh, one time in Pretoria and, uh, I was just so struck by what a humble person he was, and I was struck by the extent to which he was um, he was funny, he was irreverent, he was witty. Uh, you know, every question, and we piled them with questions, as you can imagine, the spirit of the dinner. Every question, he kind of gave two answers. He gave, the one answer was what should happen, and the other answer was what would happen in given the circumstances in South Africa. So. So I remember that, and then in terms of an event and a, a line to that, and because I'm, I'm interested and in, I like rugby, I was lucky enough to go to the 1995 Rugby World Cup final in South Africa when uh, when Nelson Mandela showed up at the ground. And oh. this was at a time when nobody was quite sure how this you know Afrikaner white game, if you like, would respond to a, their new black leader. And when it came to singing the new South African national anthem, and they sang both. They sang the old one, Die Sturm, and then they sang the new one. The whole crowd rose to it, and it was extraordinary. And then there was this absolutely remarkable kind of electric moment where Nelson Mandela walked out on the pitch wearing the number six rugby jersey of Francois Pinar, the captain of South Africa. At that moment, um, the guy with oh. me turned to me and said, you know what? God wants this to happen. I mean, this this result is, is is already over. The match is over. South Africa will win, and they won an extra time. Um, yeah. And it was it really was an impactful event, uh, and it was, if you like, the start of something totally new and uh, unexplored and really exciting in South Africa. That was a sort of a freestyle of electricity around the crowd, and it was just one person. And, and, and he earned he earned that through what he did and what he said and how he lived his life. Um, so, you know, I read his book, Long Walk to Freedom, and um, I've always been fascinated by the impact of one individual. It's a funny thing in life how one individual can make an extraordinary impact. I, I remember um, uh, Martin Luther King, you know, the, the great uh, leader in, in the United States, he, he once said, you know, yeah, he famously said, I have a dream. He didn't say, I have a strategic plan. You know, <laughs> and, yes. and when you think about it, you know, in life, we love, we love to dream. We love to have, uh, in my business, we used to call them BHAGs, big, hairy, audacious goals, yes. you know, and BHAGs yes. drive us. Because you see, I've always thought that, the, uh, you know, we have the left side of the brain, which is about deductive and analytical and all that kind of statistics. And we have the right side of the brain, which is all about passion and meaning and purpose. And what's interesting is when the left side of the brain comes up against the right side of the brain, you know, it's the right side of the brain that, that wins, that wins out emotion. And there's bad sides to that as well. But um, I think that's kind of, that's really sort of a fascinating phenomenon that we live in. The, the left side leads to conclusions, but the right side of the brain leads to action. And I think that's a, an interesting dynamic going on in all our lives that we can, uh, that emotion is still an incredibly important motivator. Well, you've given two great examples of um, of leaders who who were able to connect with with other people. So when I'm listening to you, I I don't know if you heard me. I just went oh because I actually got tingles. All the hairs on my arms stood up when you're telling me about being at, at the rugby. And of course, there was that uh, movie done where Matt Damon plays yeah. 
yeah, and, and Mel, the, it, it was all about uh, South Africa winning, um, South Africa winning the yeah. the World Cup. Then, so it's um it's an interesting concept because we can now look at the situation in the last twelve months or the, or the last two years around leadership around the world, and we've got some big comparisons. Um, at times, yes, different. We've we've got a whole lot of things strategically that we could use as um, you know particular drivers. But the emotional uh, relationship that the leader, leaders have with, with a population, a people, a country, even if it's your own small team, if it's your family, that's the key. And you have to be able to, yes, attend to your emotions and be able to um, manage them, but also be able to use them for the best behaviours so that you can actually make the right decisions. And then you can actually bring your strategic direction together. So it's fascinating. And so I know, yeah, I know your specialty area is is networking. Yeah. So yeah. this this is right on the money because at the moment we're all working virtually. We're still working. We've got some face to face going on. We've got a lot of our, um, you know, if I look at our schools, uh, a lot of the, the all gone back to face to face. I know that various countries have been locked down again. Um, some of them are back face to face, but um, it's it's a quite a dilemma because in all this, the impact of isolation um, has affected the way people are actually seeing themselves in the world, seeing their worth, seeing how and whether they're valued or not for their worth. Some people have have no jobs, so we have we have quite a array, and so any leader needs to be able to work with lots of different circumstances. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, it, it is kind of extraordinary and remarkable, and I hate to use the word because it's so acted and overused, but unprecedented, but yeah, it is not unprecedented time. But then again, Carrie, is it? So so think of it this way, you know, we've got, we've got you know, infection, uh, you know, in, in, impacting on millions and millions of people, we've got millions of people dying, we've got people, uh, you know, huge unemployment and disruption, but the year is 1918. And it's the Spanish flu. But here's what's interesting about the Spanish flu. It killed 50 million people. 500 million people were infected around the world. The Spanish flu was followed by an extraordinary period of innovation, creativity, and growth, which led on to the roaring 20s. And in America, you had the mass produ production of motor cars. You had um, electrification change society. You had, um, you know, movies entertained the masses. Sports had a, an incredible period of growth. You had, uh, you know, the radio connected the world, etc. You know, technology and innovation kicked in. And I think we're going to see the same thing again. I think what this, this awful thing, it is awful, is going to be followed by an extraordinary surge because there's huge pent-up capital, there's pent-up energy, but we've also all accelerated in a technological sense. Even what we're doing today, we wouldn't have thought about nine or 10 months ago. So I think yeah. that kind of, it, it's worth thinking about looking at the last century where 100 million people died in conflict in the last century. It was a brutal time. But each of those events was followed by extraordinary periods of innovation and growth. So I think we're going to see something similar. And, I, you know, there's an old expression here in Ireland that says when business is down, that's when you paint the shop. In other words, you know, that's when you get ready. Don't get down, get ready. So in the workshops I've been doing, I've done about 80 of them on webinars now, I've been sort of saying to people, yes, I know it's awful, but, but actually, you know, think in terms of how our lives have changed 
in some ways for the better, in many ways for worse. But just I'll give you a couple of examples on, on, on the better side. This technology that we're now using today and we're using all the time, it, it means that we're geographically unrestricted. I'm talking to Harley Muck this morning, you know, and uh, it's unbelievable. Uh, so, so it's also free. You know, a lot of this stuff is free. Now, in, in my life, I've always found free a very compelling price point. I've always found that it's <laughs> an interesting position to be in. So it's free. You can, you can, everybody is available. Nobody's going in. I'm always getting people ringing me up saying, are you around next week? Of course I'm around next week. I can't go anywhere. So on, on, on top of that, you know, uh, more people are spending more time online than ever before in history. So we now know where they are. And then because of companies like LinkedIn, who have 700 million people, have told this company, here's my education details, here's my qualifications, here's my work experience, here's my hobbies. We now can learn about so much about so many people. So my business, like many, you know, we went to zero overnight last February. We were doing workshops and presentations on networking and it just yep. disappeared. Every contract got canceled. So we had to do the old traditional pivot. And we were lucky, we weren't a hairdresser or a taxi driver. We could develop an online business which we did. And what's happened is we've actually developed an entirely new tribe of followers all around the world. And I'm doing I'm doing webinars all over the world. I did one last night in Kosovo for Kosovo. In, 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 so it's extraordinary. So I think, you know, we have to take the positives. There are negatives. And as a networker, not being able to go out. The one thing I really miss, I call it funnels of serendipity, how random chance can change your life, but we don't have that. Yeah. There's also yeah. a very interesting bit of research I read yesterday that came out that said that men are struggling more than women because they said uh -huh. men's networks have decreased by about 40%, whereas women's networks have not decreased during this pandemic. And here's the argument. What this report said is that men tend to like to go out with their mates for a beer. We know that in Australia. They tend to like yep. to go to watch some sport. They want to go and play golf. Uh, and they're not doing that. They can't. Whereas women are keeping up their contact by phoning and connecting. And that's, if, I don't know, I've no research on that for here or for Australia, but it was fascinating. This came from a Yale University professor who published this report. I think it's really curious, interesting. It is. Um, I, I know uh, during COVID, well, I'm, I'm the same as you, everything got wiped out. And then I just went, right, what am I going to do? So I started these thriving conversations on a Tuesday night and I thought, okay, Let's get the kids to bed. Let's let's have a chat and we'll talk about something that's really interesting. Um, and so what we did was we just reached out to people. And it's it's there's no, absolutely no cost to this apart from your time. And so we're able now to basically adapt or pivot our, our diaries. We can go, right, well, this hour I'll do this. I can actually just swap that around. But what I found was more and more we would have groups of uh, small groups of friends that we just check in on each other and we'd have a laugh. Someone would send a, a meme or a joke or someone saying, well, I've just been reading this and we'd have a chat about that. So it became the virtual book club. It became the virtual coffee shop. So we'd just go drink of choice, coffee or coffee or cocktail, not a problem, whatever it was that we, we were doing. Or everyone would say, right, well, I'm going to bring these nibbles. Like it was actually very funny what people would do, how we would try and apply it um to it and then of course somebody said oh don't you look nice today well this is what i'm wearing on top i, t I don't want to show you what i'm doing on the bottom because, you know <laughs> but we had some humor in it as well but we did 
use it as check, most of the time it was a check-in on, on people. And what I, I don't know about you, Kingsley, but what I've found is that I think I'm doing a better job on working out facial expressions, on eye contact and listening than I may have if I was in a group of people and I've got one conversation over here and I heard somebody mention something, I've caught a bit of that and I've caught a bit of this over here. Um, so there have been some changes, but I also know that people are quite tired. Um, there's a fatigue that comes with looking at a screen and we actually we don't need to be on the screen all the time. So we've got to be smart about how we're using the screens. Look, I, I, I wouldn't sugarcoat this situation in any way. I'm, I'd be, I'll be frank with you. I'm struggling. I genuinely, I'm struggling with this because I'm, I'm, I'm stuck at home. I've got kids, university kids, upstairs sitting on the end of their bed doing their lectures. You know, one of them is on the on the ho college hockey team, and she hasn't played a game for a year now. You know, I, you know, genuinely struggling. But we're alive and we're healthy, so we should be grateful and uh, suck it up and just get on with life and make the best of, I think that's what you're kind of saying, just make the best of the circumstances that, that you're in. You know, we, we, are, we are quite, we're pretty privileged people in the world. Um, yeah. And I can say the world bizarrely is actually a very, uh, it's a very peaceful place. There aren't that many wars going on around the world. I mean, as I, I gave you that figure of 100 million land in the last century died in war. Well, we've been, you know, and we've made extraordinary strides in terms of just the sheer numbers of people who've been taken out of poverty and all that kind of stuff. Now, I know there's lots of inequities and inequalities, and there's a huge amount yeah. to be done. But, you know, I think um, we shouldn't feel too self-pitying in all this situation that we're in. I just think, you know, we should make the best of it. And, you know, there is a lot of stuff that's out there for free. I, I swim until about two weeks ago. I just got too cold. I swam every day. <laughs> it's free, you know. I go for a walk down the pier. I, you know, you can do all that kind of stuff. So um, I don't think we should wallow in self-pity and this stuff. I just think we should get on with things. And um, and that's the kind of a mental attitude. Um, and, uh, I, you know, I think it's fascinating what you're doing, saying about picking up some some subtleties in, in people's expressions. And, and, and yeah. But I, I agree with you. There's a there's a lot. Of, and I think that's why we, we kept up, deliberately keep up with certain people, check in. Um, to see how they're travelling, because if if they have some depression or they have some pre-existing conditions, um, they, we need to we need to watch them. I also know that um, we may not realise the extent of of the isolation for people, and that that's probably going to come come along the mental health yeah. and the and, yeah. and the well-being. I think that's as yeah. yet to come, yeah. and that's where we we uh, we tend to be adapting our, our work to um, making sure we've got something in there that is a quick and something simple that we can use as a bit of a ritual. I had a discussion with someone the other day and they said, I don't like habits. I like this notion of a daily ritual or some things I do. And um, I remember years ago, where's my hand? There it is. I remember years ago when you know we'd teach protective behaviours to, to little children, right, and to young and to youth, and we'd be saying to them, "Here's here's something tangible. Look at your hand, and when you're under stress, you can say, right, this is this is one of my resources. This is where I can go. Here's another one. Here's another one, and you could have a whole variety of them. Um, the same, I think, applies now. What can I do in this situation when I wake up and I'm feeling super anxious? What are some of the things? So these are all thriving techniques that I think we're all learning to share as well. Mm. Um, I'm a big believer in going, okay, I can't control this. How do I work out what I can control 
and what I can't control. So do I have some empathy for myself because I've got to let go of something and go, okay, at this point in time, I can't worry about this. This is what I know I need to worry about or this is what I can put some positive energy into. Um, and it sounds a little bit airy-fairy for people who are, are in very pessimistic thinking. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that I do know is I can look at it and go, what do you want to feel like? Do you want to feel like this or how, you know, what do you want to feel like? Well, I actually don't want to feel like this anymore. What are some of the things you can do? So I'm like you. I get out and put the shoes on and I go for a walk. I did a playlist early on when COVID hit and a few people said to me, have you got time to do that? And I went, oh, yeah, I have time to do this because I know I'm going to be using it. I'm going to put my my big, my favourite tunes on and whether I'm in the mood to actually move around, I've got a sore back or I've been sitting for ages or blah, 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 I, I do that. Or if I need something that's calming, some jazz or something, or I put meditations on, they're, they're on my playlist. So things like that, this isn't rocket science. There's a whole lot of people doing it. Um, you know, you talked about sinners in Australia. Well, a lot of us, no matter what our religion or um, interest in um, uh, yeah, a, a variety of different ways of looking at the universe or, or our God, they are also mindfulness practices that are quite useful. It's it's a repetition, a mantra. Um, that's something that we can we can get some comfort just for being in the space and, and saying it. Um, I, yeah. I grew up, um, you know, fairly traditional. Catholic political family in Australia and so some of those rituals and the work, the work, work church and um, politics were the three things. Yeah. yeah. But, um, you know, they, they were things that are sort of, they stick with you now and you look back on you and when you are under stress, you actually pull out a few of those things that you learned all those years ago. Sure, sure. <laughs> maybe, yeah. maybe try it, yeah. I mean, I think, uh, I think I think it's worth bearing in mind that even before this pandemic hit, you know, we were going through a period of extraordinary disruption and turbulence and change and AI and robotics and automation were disrupting whole industries, whole sectors. So it's naive to think that, you know, everything was going along placidly. We were in a period of extraordinary change. And, and a lot of the old mantras, you know, success in the past is no guarantee of success in the future. The things that got us here won't get us there. You know, I remember yeah. hearing the, the head of Mercedes-Benz saying, change is happening now faster than ever before in history and never will be as slow again. So, so we were in a period of great change and churn. It's not fair to kind of attribute all of this to, to the pandemic, but this has certainly given it a sort of flavor and a shape that we couldn't possibly have imagined in advance. Well, it was like a, a for me. It was like a bit of a roller coaster. It just came in and and it it's going up and down, up and down, up and down. And I, I was reading yesterday. Um, a lot of the travel industry is saying it it will be at least twenty twenty before twenty twenty two before um, yeah. there are any overseas flights yeah, of yeah. any regularity happening. So we we need to find ways to self care, to care for those we love to be able to have some employment or some purpose. Um, and I think, you know, that notion of thriving, sometimes people just go, oh, I'm sick of hearing it. But to me, it's not just having a smile on your face and feeling buoyant every day or fairly balanced. It's actually how I'm managing the times when 
this is, I'm very aware that this is how I'm feeling or this is the trigger here, mm. this is what happened or, or I've heard another awful story. When we look at um, numbers, numbers, the daily numbers, uh, footage of various things going on in, in countries, um, it actually, you know, we, we do take it to our heart. So we actually have to be fairly kind and have some empathy for ourselves as well um, in it all. I think the other dynamic which is so interesting is that you know, this is not a national issue. This is a global issue. And our, yeah. our, what we do has repercussions all over the place, you know. I mean, I, you know, people going skiing in northern Italy brought this thing back into Ireland, you know, and, and so there's implications. And we all have certain responsibilities as, as citizens of, of members of the human race rather than just as kind of New Zealanders or Scottish or Irish, you know. Like, I think that's important yeah. to remember that. Um, and the sorts of topics you're talking about, the things thriving or not thriving, they're not uh, nationally bound. They, this is humanity, you know, at risk. This is humanity being being asked some really tough questions. And how do we mm. respond as humans, not as Australians or Irish or Americans, but just as human beings to each other? That's fundamental. It is. It is. And if you look at, I mean, you just talked about LinkedIn a little while ago and, and the, uh, the reach that that... Um, whole networking uh, software and community has. Um, more often than not, people are really talking about um, being being able to network, to be to have, have strong relationships, to be able to be genuine in the way that you're acting, making sure that your actions actually match your rhetoric, mm -hmm. <laughs> or your actions actually match what the values are that you're you're putting forward. I mean, we're under the microscope. A lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, you can find out who who's uh, genuine and who's yeah. not necessarily genuine. And uh, more and more people want to know, they want to actually get to know you. And that's that's uh, that's what I've found. It's been quite joyous um, mm. building a, a global family or a global community. Some would call it a tribe. Uh, it doesn't matter what we call it. To me, it's, it's um, a connection of all different shapes, colours, sizes, or maybe the licorice all sorts is what I call my my children because mm. the world are, you know, a packet of licorice all sorts. We're all all different, but we have some similarities in there. Yeah. And um, yeah. care for humanity, it's coming up more and more all the time, and I think that's what we're all visiting and re realigning our own personal values for that. Mm. No, I agree with that. So tell me the one of your things that you do. You have the walk, and now you've you've got to stop swimming. So, you know, what's what's it going to be? A pretend cold shower, or you know, how would you <laughs> maybe some visualization? But you you probably replace that with something. And I know it's it the last time I spoke to you a couple of weeks ago. You 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 said, oh, it's just started to snow. So um, yeah. Well, you know what's interesting is um, uh, you know there's this whole tribe of people who have continued who have taken up and continued on swimming they even got these new this gear they wear called dry dry robes i don't know if you don't need them in australia it's so warm but but in ireland you know when you come out and you're shivering and you need a yeah. you need a hot toddy and you need a bowl of soup and stuff so so yes yeah, so all sorts of people have embraced this who haven't had it before um we've fundamentally restructured our road system that we've now built bike lanes uh, in in a lot of our okay. roads um, there's this whole concept of the, what they call, I don't know if you've heard this in Australia, it's called the 15-minute city, 
It's come out of Europe. It's come out of France, um, where they're now trying to design cities that you can get you can get access to everything that you need within 15 minutes. So you you redesign the road system. So you you know if you ever go to I mean my my daughter's over in Holland st and doing study um, and you know everybody cycles everywhere there and their weather is can be quite severe in winter too. But everybody cycles, so they've actually their entire population. Everybody's a bicycle, and it, but it's beautifully organised. It's incredibly safe. Uh, up till fairly recently, you wouldn't want to cycle around Dublin too much. It's not very safe. So you need mm -hmm. to create the conditions, and and that's what's interesting. You know, it's this is a sidebar from this event is that we you know we now have this people are rediscovering nature. I think we've given the environment a bit of a, a holiday over the last nine months, and people like what they yeah. see. You know, we yeah. actually. Actually, we we could actually see the mountains of Wales the other day. I don't think anybody's seen them for a couple of centuries. So, you know, so it's it's a uh, you know there are some good good things and that are that are actually coming out of this now. And and so we should yeah. try to maximize those things and then try and deal with the issues of. I have a sister who lives down the country on her own, and uh, you know she lives quite far away from anybody else, and she literally has doesn't see anybody for months on end. So you know, isolation is a is a struggle. Uh, for many, yeah. and um, we we do live quite lonely, atomized lives, and I think technology is is um, is a, in some cases a culprit in all of this. Um, there's a great woman called yeah. Sherry Turkle in the United States, an MIT professor, and she wrote a book called Alone Together. And what she said is, technology is wonderful. We can connect with anybody anywhere in the world at the click of a switch, but she said we're all alone in front of a screen. And so yes. I do think that's a real, a real issue. Uh, I just saw some statistics the other day for the amount of people in Sweden who live alone. It's just staggering statistics. So, uh, you know, technology, which is designed to bring us together, is actually having mm. the opposite effect. Um, mm. and so we have to be careful how we do that. And I think um, I look at the next generation and I wonder if the fact that they live their entire lives on a screen that they uh, are actually, I think, possibly weaker in things like empathy than their their older generations, and I think that that's a something we really have to be aware of and conscious of. That um, this generation coming through are actually quite weak sometimes on their soft skills, but strong on their hard skills. So technically and analytically and deductively very good, but not so good on the soft skills. I did some work actually in Singapore a couple of years ago. Um, with the National University of Singapore, and they have a center, and the center is called the Center for Future Ready Graduates. Don't you love the name? Because it explains yeah. the problem. Future In other words, yeah. our graduates coming out now, they are really outstanding in many, many ways, but actually quite weak in other ways. And we yeah. those areas of of uh, you know everything to do with empathy and compassion and uh, and networking of course and uh, and interacting with others etc. You can live a very atomized life nowadays uh, where you can kind of virtually avoid any connection with anybody anywhere. Now that's necessary because of the pandemic. But I do hope that when we get back, or I don't even think we, I don't even want to go back. I want to go on to something different. I don't want to go back to the way things were. But I, I think we have to watch out. Because there's some real warnings. Well, when you just said um, atomized, I had I, I'm quite visual, so image just comes up of the atom. But what I tend to look for are the orbits of the electrons, right? Mm. So you've you've got these. So I've got this visual, and I'm going, okay. So we've actually got the atomized, but we've also got some orbits. So when you said just a minute ago, you know, we create the conditions. 
Mm. I think those orbits are the conditions that we create for for um, developing what we call, what no longer should be called soft skills. They should be called essential skills. I think yeah. I think we yeah. removed the word soft. They're no longer soft because all the literature and research is saying to us the relational aspect of leadership and um, behaviour uh, when we are together is now far more critical than. Um, a lot of uh, of an of a knowledge base. You can go. It can be complementary, but to actually like the people that you're working with and to be able to understand the way they behave and be able to to work with them um, is the, is the way that we're going to get the best out of them. Now, when we've got people leading remote teams or teams that are behind a screen, as you say, atomized, um, that's that's quite a dilemma for us. But it's also a challenge. Um, because we're reimagining the future. So setting up or creating those conditions, I think, are really important. So I really liked what you said about that. I had a principal last year, and a lot of schools um, talk about, in their curriculum, they talk about kids um, learning competencies, right? Com competencies for, you know, for finance, for literature, for whatever. Um, and one of the words that he introduced in the conversation was he said, our students don't talk about competencies. That's not part of the vocab now. We talk about fluencies. All right. And I went, oh. And then for me, I went, oh, there's some energy in this word fluency for me. And it's being fluent, being uh, developing, developing, and there's some movement. It's showing progression. It's showing development. And uh, talked about, you know, these, these kids that are uh, – really producing portfolios of their work that are related to real-life problems and finding solutions. So it's not, you know, they they still have access to a whole lot of uh, knowledge, a whole lot of history, traditional information, but they're looking at how they're going to be living for the future. That, at the moment, is is changing rapidly like that. We don't quite know. Things are shifting very quickly. Yeah, I mean, there's... Um is the book I read recently by J Jamie Merritt Sotis, who's an American writer, called Human Work, um, and it's bringing humanity into work. In this, and that's what you're, the skills that you're going to need for the future. But here's what's interesting, Carrie: mean, schools and colleges don't teach. Um, they don't. They teach knowledge and they teach information rather than skills. And yet, you're going to need a skill, which is all about human interactivity, which is all about <laughs> networks. A lot of people don't realize. And, and, you know, I was, as I said, I was a fan of Paul Keating, and I, I, I attribute this phrase, and I don't know if he said it or not, he said, in the great race of life, always back to self-interest, because at least you know it'll be trying. Which I thought it was always a fascinating kind of, you know, sort of guide and ma to life in some ways. And, you know, we have to convince people that building these relationships is in your interest, you know? It's in your interest for lots of, yeah. lots of social reasons, but also, in a brutal reason, for your career, because... Here's what the facts of life are, is the technical skills you needed to get your job in the first instance, important as they are, um, yep. as you progress through your life, become less important because everybody has them. It's a minimum. Everybody's good at stuff. And you can't compete on what everybody has. And relationships become more important. In terms of, you know, you asked me earlier about people who impacted on me. There's a woman called Carla Harris who's uh, 35 years on Wall Street and Morgan Stanley. She's done wonderful TED Talks and YouTube videos about career development and these soft skills. And what she says is really fascinating. She says that, you know, all decisions about your career would be taken by a group of people sitting around a table 
in a room discussing compensation and promotion and next projects. And here's the thing, she said, you won't be in that room. So here's yeah. fascinating. Yes. If, yes. if nobody in that room knows you, nobody's going to yeah. use the power that they have to speak up for you. So she says in life, you have to have three things in you. You have to have, you have to have advisors who help you technically with your work and all that. Yes. Good stuff. You need to have mentors who give you the good, the bad, and the ugly and guide you, etc. But you need something else. She said, you need a sponsor. And a sponsor doesn't just talk to you. Yeah. A sponsor talks about you. And if you don't have somebody talking about you when you're not there. So this introduces a couple of other concepts. One is just your reputation. You know, what do people think of you? I mean, your reputation is what somebody says about you when you're not in the room. So that's important. And then your whole area, and I don't even like the expression, but your personal brand is an important thing. So, so there's, a, there's a wonderful um, American writer called Harvey Coleman, and he has a thing yes. called the pie theory of career progress, which is just fascinating because it was written quite a long time ago, but I think it is so relevant today. And he says some outrageous things. He said, how well you do your job contributes 10% to your career progress. And surely that's ridiculous. Surely doing a great job is all that matters. Do a great job and you will soar. And he says, no. Why? Because everybody, it's the minimum to get into your organization. It's mandatory. It gets you on the pitch. It doesn't get you, you know, it gets you on the ladder, but doesn't get you up the ladder. He said an interesting thing. He said, you get paid on promotion. You get promoted on what other people think of your potential. So now he's introducing those two pesky little words, other people. So his pie theory says it's the I and the E, not the P. P is mandatory, you've got to do a great job, but the I is your image. What do people think of you? What are you known for? What are you a go-to person for? And then the 30% yeah. of your career progress, and then the, the, the killer, 60% of your career progress, he says, the E of the pie theory, is exposure. Who's seen you in action? Who's seen you deliver? Who's seen you perform? Who's seen you speak? Who's seen you at meetings? You know, do you bring solutions? Do you bring problems? So, so this is dramatic stuff because it turns on its head the piece of advice that I got, and I suspect many kids in Australia get it from their parents when they start their first job, which is work hard, keep your head down, and keep out of trouble. Really yes. shit advice, you know. Still going on. <laughs> Not good advice. You know, uh, and that's and what yeah. happens then is people say, well, I, I'm just going to let my work speak for itself. Here's the problem. Work doesn't speak. Other people speak. So, yeah. And other people, other people take the credit for your work because they're in leadership roles. And that has been a right. traditional way of of a leader saying, no, no, no you're in the team. The, the work here is the team's work. And. You know, if you've got an original thought, that might be a great idea. I'll take that because I've got, I've got, the, yeah. I'm on the next one of the ladder. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's uh, and so one of the one of the interesting things about um, our IT access and the advent of all social media platforms, um, even like um, uh, LinkedIn, it's that yeah, you 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 need to be able to show how how it is that you perform. You need to be able to show the the relationships, the connections, and the effect. Um, not necessarily the paperwork, and the paperwork would have gotten you a job. That CV years ago. Um, I've always thought, and I've been quite open in saying this, that when you've got someone who's going to be uh, leading a large organisation, like say education facility, like a school or whatever, that the interview 
which and a CV is not enough. It needs to be practice. So I know it needs to be um, examples of your practice in the spot, in situ, um, impromptu, impromptu, maybe um, within within a certain time and within a whole range of people. So your board of directors or your your school board or your governors or whoever it is, you, with your middle managers, with all your your leaders, with your students, with the leadership team of the kids, with the parents. It needs to show that, but often. It is still based on a paper, CV, and an interview. Yeah. So, yeah. I th I think that, but I think that is changing. There's a lot of places now that have a more robust um, selection process for that. I did some work when I was down there last time in St Ignatius um, in uh, in Sydney, for example, where they they're really looking at the <clears throat> excuse me the Finnish the Finnish example in Finland. Yeah which is the highest level of education, always top of the PISA scores in the world, extraordinary country. They've stopped teaching subjects. They teach projects. Yeah. And in that project, yeah. you need some geography and history and mathematics, you know. They, they have people sitting on chairs on wheels. They're flying around the room. They're using all these fancy boards all around the place. But they, they, they really turn things on their head a lot. And I think that's a reflection of them. Um, you know, we're moving away from the old traditional hierarchical vertical world of the, the big boss in the corner office looking out over Sydney Harbour, you know, to, to a much more circle type, circles of circles, teams of teams approach. I mean, I think of my dad who left school at 14, joined a company and left that company age 77. So just a quick 63 years in one company, you know, yeah. you, you know, it was, it was, you know, but now kids, I mean, my kids are going to be leaving college and they're going to have 15 or 20 different jobs. Millennials, you know, are not interested in this long-term career stuff. They want <laughs> they want to be taught and trained by the company. They want to upskill. They see companies as docking stations where they go in, spend a few years, and then they'll move on to something else, maybe even a different area. So all of that's changed. And by the way, they're going to live very long. I mean, most people now, you know, most people, most of the kids today are going to live to 100, you know, unless, you know, a pandemic gets yes. them. <laughs> that's, but, right, uh, that's right. Yeah. And, and I'm that's a right, fan yeah. I, I'm in my third act, right? So I'm a big fan of the third act, the concept of the third act, which is, you know, you know, you, you learn, you earn, and then you start doing other slightly different things. Um, and the, the third act means that, you know, most companies you get thrown out at 60, and most people who get to 60 are going to reach 90. So they've got 30 yeah. years. So the question is, what are you going to do? Who, who's it's a long time. About that? What are you going to do with your 30 years? You've got energy, enthusiasm, you often got money, yeah. and you, 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 you can do extraordinary things. And yet, you know, we're not trained for that. No, but there are some extraordinary things happening, which mm. is even even better. So the community is coming together. There's some really great examples. There was a paper published last year called Reimagining the Future, and basically it it looked at scenarios. What if this happened? And then and then they gave examples of that exactly ha uh, happening in the last say um, two years, and and wrote those up. So there were whole communities where every generation had come in together to educate the kids, right? There was a whole lot of, of lessons going on. There was a whole lot of sharing of, of technique. There was a whole lot of relationships and caring, um, resource sharing systems, systems sustainability um, projects, all that type of thing. It's been, been some amazing things that have happened that have happened all because of, well, we we can't get to we can't get to each other, but we can in smaller in in smaller areas. We can't have access to things, so there's been some good things. I'm very aware that um, 
we need to ask you a couple more questions. Yeah. And <laughs> after I was I, on the tip of my tongue, I just wanted to say to you, if you had a message for our young people um, who, are, who are now, a lot of them have had interrupted education uh, delivery because, that's, you know, that's the system that we have in place. We have a lot of people, those millennials, who will be, you know, using jobs as a docking station. What advice would you have? You got anything that you you really want to tell them? Is there some? Is there a skill? Is there something that um, you are noticing about them that you believe would be worthwhile for the future? What, what would it be that you want to share? So here, here's what I think, and this will not surprise you when I say this, um, because it revolves a little bit around building networks. Because there's a concept called homophily. And homophily is a fancy Greek word or something that basically means uh, we have a tendency to hang around with people just like us. You know, the old yes. birds and feather flock together. So, yeah. so I live in a city, Dublin, which was essentially male, pale and stale when I was growing up. It was not a very <laughs> international cosmopolitan city. We were not a very sophisticated place. In fact, I told a joke the other night. I said I went into a restaurant back then when I was at college and I asked the waiter, what's the soup du jour? And he said, hang on, I'll ask the chef. So he goes in and he asks the chef, and he comes out, and the chef says, it's soup of the day, right? So, <laughs> we, we were not a very – but now, this city I'm living in today, 33% of the working-age population of this city of Dublin are not born in Ireland. So it's intensely cosmopolitan, intensely international, and, I've, and so much better as a city for that reason. But here's the question. Does your network – reflect the diversity of the economy you work in, the society you live in? And the answer for most people is no. So, mm. you know, I think you, 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 young people, all of us, young and old, have to really make an effort to seek out what I call unlike-minded people. And I think what's happening, and see what happened in the US during the election, we have now become, and Brexit in Britain, brutally polarized. You're with us, you're against us. You're on that side, you're on that side. It's black and yeah. white. There's no middle ground. It's absolutely absolute and it's reductionist. It's it's binary. Um, and I think that for young people to really make an effort, I think they have the opportunity because they're in schools and places with a lot of diversity, is to seek out people who are different, seek out different opinions and people seek out people who don't even yeah. look and sound like you. Um, mm. that's, that's the world they're going to grow up in and live in. And if we go back into our, the South African expression, into our lagers and just uh, just hang around with people just like us, curiosity is a really powerful and important thing. Um, and engendering a sense of curiosity, of encouraging questions like who, what, when, where, why, and how, of following, actually, frankly, what the greatest guy in this space wrote many years ago, Dale Carnegie, you know, he's, he wrote this book, yes. you know. And yes. <laughs> And what he said was so simple. He said, the, the sweetest sound that anybody ever heard was the sound of their own name. <laughs> How simple is that? <laughs> said, you know, the smile on your face means more than the clothes on your back. He said, to be interesting, be interested. He said, a really good question beats a really good comment. And it goes back to something he said at the very beginning, just being a really good listener. We live in a world where people don't listen. And I look at money coming from me, you know, a mick like me, you know. But uh, you know, I said earlier, never give a mick a mic, you know, that but 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 this listening skill, you know, people don't listen. Most people only listen to prepare what they're gonna say next, not to hear what somebody is saying. So so there's a wonderful woman in in London called Nancy Klein, she's American, and she's written a book called Time to Think. And and it's all about seeing listening as a form of activity. 
seeing listening uh, as a generative activity of generating you know smart people it's generating great ideas from other people and you can do that a really great listener uh, well we're we're born to listen if you think about this our whole biology we've got two of these and two of those and only one of these mm. so technically speaking we've already been set up for listening <laughs> Right. Yeah. Uh, what we what happens is we we want to know that what we think is fairly right. We want to have some uh, be sure of um, perhaps our presence um, and being acknowledged by other people. We we actually want to have that, that little bit of ego often gets in the way. Yeah. And it's how to how to actually settle the ego yeah. so you can open up and listen. Mm. Um, and I I have had conversations. Um, in the last 18 months and what's come out of those conversations has blown me away because I thought here's a, here's a way to, to really listen and often people, because they feel safe, they're being listened to, they give you more of themselves. They'll share their vulnerability with you and, and the vulnerability is really what we learn from. It's yeah. not good. It's not nice. We're uncomfortable. We feel, feel all prickly. I mean, you've been very honest today and say it's, this is hard yakka. Um, you know, when you look around your families, when when we're missing, you and I pretty much extroverts, and we and we we like networking, we like connections, we like to have a bit of fun. Um, you know, I've always got an excuse to say, "Come on around, we'll we'll put the platters out, and we'll have a great natter. We'll you know we'll we'll dance, we'll sing, we'll do whatever it is." Um, so now we have to do that differently. What does that look like differently? But still being able to maintain yeah. uh, the connections. Yeah. And I think that's really critical. Mm. Kingsley, mm. if anyone would like to know more about you and your work, what's what's your best contacts? Probably um, LinkedIn is always good. I mean, I, I put out lots of stuff on LinkedIn and um, I'm always, I'm always, people are always connecting me on LinkedIn or, you know, it's Kingsley at the Networking Institute is the, is the website, lots of stuff on there. Um, I'm always keen to, to, to reach out to people and, and share stuff. I give a lot of stuff away for free. So I just think, um, you know, sprinkle all that around the place. And, you know, I, I've always yeah. thought that networking is all about not getting something for yourself. It's about giving. But it's a little bit self-centered in the sense that the more you give, guess what? The more the more that comes back to you. So the more you give to the individual, the more it comes back from the network. And it's kind of like you mentioned earlier that word. It's kind of like a way of living your life. It's a, it's a habit that becomes a ritual that becomes just who you are. Um, and so, yeah, and that's why I said I'm struggling because I can't do a lot of this stuff now. You know, it's all been done electronically. So I, I'm, uh, I'm missing all that connectivity. Well, I'm sure we will – everything – um, seems to to alter. It's going pretty quickly. We're doing some things really well now, and and something new will come up. I think the other day, a new software clubhouse is is taking the world by storm at the moment. Yeah, There's always yeah. always always something happening. But yeah. um, I've really enjoyed our conversation. It's my my dusk twilight time now. You yeah. should see the, I'm back the sunset. Bed. <laughs> I know, and you're you've got the day ahead of you. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But listeners. It's been a great pleasure. And we usually have um, a couple of points, you know, from what I've gotten from the conversation today. Um, but I really love, you would have seen me take a few little notes, my head probably yeah. been down. Um, you know, don't get down, get ready. I think that is yeah, yeah, sensational yeah. because now we've got the time to yeah, do a bit time. more thinking. 
we've got the time to do it and we're trying we're finding the quieter times to really sink in and and test out what we're thinking i'm a big believer if it's not working chuck it out who cares mm-hmm. get rid of it it's not a failure it's 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 a success if you do that um uh and often our failures are our greatest our greatest teachers. So um, seek out the people who, who are different to you. Um, it will really test your beliefs, values and assumptions. You might feel quite prickly and going, just be curious, just be curious. And that's a fascinating thing. Put that smile on your face and tell me more. Just tell me more and you and go, wow, never thought about it that way. Mm-hmm. So listeners, as I, um, always, our conversations are around thriving, They are around ordinary guys and gals doing pretty extraordinary things just like you are in your life and work. Please stay safe, keep well, be creative, reach out to either Kingsley or myself, not a problem. We would love to to hear from you. We're always, we're big connectors, but just go gently. You're thriving, Maddens. And uh, if you want to know more about me and what I do, carriebenedette.com. I'm on LinkedIn and all the socials as well. Uh, From one sort of a little bit of Irish heritage to another who spread his Irish heritage around the world in bucket loads. I thank you sincerely, Kingsley. It's been a pleasure to have you on today. Thanks, Carrie. The uh, the mantra for the year for 2021 we have here, which is think positive and test negative. Think positive and? Test negative. Oh, test. Ne- oh, yes, of course. There, there was a bit of a wobble on the Wi-Fi. Yeah. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Test negative. <laughs> works works really well okie doke thanks again much love right. I will see you see you in a few weeks for right. Global Leaders Thrive bye bye <laughs> I'm Carrie Benedette and this is my podcast Thriving Matters 